prayer that God would fill every part of our praise. That is that is quite the challenge, isn't it? Let's continue singing. Need no other hiding place. Our hope is safe within your name. This we Heaven's 
scripture I wanted to read to you all. Is that okay? I want to anyway. If anybody said no. Um, this is from Psalm 40, just a few Psalms before what I read earlier. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And you know what just really strikes me about this? Is that through the pit and the mud and the mire, which isn't a fun and enjoyable experience. God lifts us out, gives us a place to stand, and then he uses it for his glory. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's like right on the heels of this verse talking about these valleys and this mud that we're walking through, that God then uses that so that other people will come to know him. astounding like our God is so good that he would take our yuck even if it's our choosing some of it's not but some of it is right but he takes that and he uses it for his glory and his good so that others would know him so I don't know what you're walking through maybe you're on the mountain but maybe you're in the valley or maybe you're somewhere in between but God is using what you are going through for his good if you let him. So I encourage you as we sing this next song to cling to the fact that our God is the rock. He doesn't change. The rest of the world does. The kingdoms fall. The sun will maybe blow up someday. I don't know. But God doesn't change and we can trust him. Amen, church.
else around us seems to be changing quickly, melting away or fading away or being taken away, it's nice to know that our God never will be, never can be. Always be right where he says he'll be. I'm thankful for that today. Let's pray this morning, leaning into the confident arms of Christ, open wide for each of us, to a God who's ready to embrace us, wants desperately to spend time with us this morning. thank you for the truth of those words. As Amy shared, Father, the reminder in Scripture, Lord, of how you use those moments in our lives that maybe we'd rather not go through to reveal yourself to us, to, Father, remind us of who it is you are. Those moments where we clearly see who we are and who we're not the gap, Lord, that exists between us, you step into it. You extend your arms, Father, and you reach for us. Lift us up. You give us rest. You reassure. God, I thank you for that today. I do sense in this place, Lord, just a little bit of tension. Some weight, if you will. Just pray, God, your spirit as you come, as you make yourself, as we become, Lord, aware of you, you make yourself known to us. Lord, we would quit resisting. Just acknowledge today who you are. Maybe have an honest dialogue with you for the first time, maybe this week or in a long time, about what we need what we perceive to be lacking. Then you allow you, God, the opportunity to speak to us as well. Just since there's some here today, Father, that don't really need much more than just to know that you're here. Just need to be in your presence. Be reminded, God, they're loved and not forgotten. Those that are discouraged, Lord, that are tired, that feel like they're alone. For the one father, perhaps he's been, I just felt like they've been beaten up this week. Literally, maybe figuratively, Father, we don't know exactly what everyone's going through, but you do. Nothing surprises you. The ones that are grieving, that are heavy-hearted, that are facing uncertainty, maybe some important decisions. Maybe things they thought they had worked out now are starting to come apart. In our humanness, Lord, we're asking what's going on. And I pray, Lord, you would step into whatever that gap is, whatever that void, that need is in our lives right now. Help us to know that you're unchanging. You're still here. Lord, I just thank you for the chance to be reminded of that today. Help us, Lord, as we open up your word. We want to hear from you. These are good days in the life of, of, of your church. We don't want to ever, Lord, get too comfortable in, in, in who we are, what we think things should be. Lord, we want to be a people that pursue you, your mission, your purpose, your plan. So remind us of our story, of your grace. God, today as we dig a little bit deeper, teach us something new. Change us, God, I pray. In Jesus' name we ask these things this morning. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for choosing to worship with us today and for sharing with you kind of what God's put on my heart. It's been a series that we've been kind of developing the last several months. So you may remember in the spring we had this conversation um, uh, we, we called it dirty work, and we, we had on the platform um, an oxen yoke, if you will, uh, as an illustration of, of what used to be used to kind of cut the ground if you to prepare the soil in order for it to be planted. We were, were reminded in Scripture that Jesus invites us to take on his easy yoke, and, and how we were, if we yoke ourselves to Jesus, join ourselves to him, and he guides and directs us 
And with the term easy yoke, it seems to be kind of an oxymoron because being hooked to a yoke and cutting ground is not easy work. But what Jesus was also communicating was the word yoke can also be used to describe a, a, a method of teaching. So Jesus was directly contradicting the method of teaching or the religious teachers of that day and complaining that the yoke that they had put on people with all of the rules that they had to follow and, and the traditions they had to keep all the things that they needed to do in order to earn God's favor or were weighing people down. He says, no, I've got a different way, and it's much, much easier. Yoke yourself to me, follow me, and, and I will help you be, be part of a great harvest. And that time of, the, of, of dirty work that we went through several months ago was a time of preparation, of preparing our own hearts, recognizing that, that we are the soil that God was trying to prepare and wanted to, to uh, get us ready so that when he plants seeds, we would see in us those seeds grow. And eventually, those seeds as they grow would produce fruit. And so we're getting to the second part of, of this idea of this dirty work conversation. We're, we're past the planting season. We're now getting entering into a new season, a season of harvest, a season of expectation, a season of anticipation, of counting what has come out of all of the toils that have led up to this, this time. And, and as I've been preparing for this, I was reminded of, of a time years ago when, when my kids were going to attend a small school and once in a while there'd be field trips they would go on and this uh, small private school didn't have buses or vans, so they would typically ask parents to go on field trips, especially the parents that had vans that would seat eight people. Uh, they, they liked the, the families that had big vehicles. So we would get asked often to, to chaperone um, these class field trips. And because I was a pastor and I only worked one day a week, they always knew that I was available uh, to, to, to go on these field trips. So I would get asked frequently to, to go on field trips with, with my, our kids. And, and I'm thankful for that opportunity that God allowed me that, that flexibility in what I was doing. And one such field trip, though, we went downtown Pittsburgh to the Carnegie Museum of Art. As we're walking through the Museum of Art, uh, we came across a painting that everybody else just kind of walked by. It wasn't uh, by a well-known artist necessarily. It wasn't even a picture that they were familiar with. But for me, it just kind of grabbed me, and it caused me to pause. It was a painting of a, a peasant who was out in the fields just doing peasant work. By, it was a man um, named Jean-Francois Millet painted this painting called The Sower. And the sowers are just out doing what a sower does. He's got a bag of seed over his shoulders. He's spreading the seed across the recently prepared field. We know the field's recently prepared. In the background, you see the oxen hooked up to another, um, another ox, and they are plowing the ground. It, it's a lowly position, not one that many would strive for. Yet Malay and his representation, presentation of it, adds significance and value to uh, the, the, the spreading of seed, the sowing of seed, through these elongated proportions of, of the sower's body and the wide strides in which he's sowing, there's a sense of pride in what he's doing. You know, I did not sit there and come up with that all on my own. Uh, I'm, I'm not that good when I look at art. Often I look at art and I see what you, many of you see. I just see a picture. You have to go a little bit deeper sometimes to, to find uh, the value and the extended meaning. But I liked the idea that sowing is not a lowly peasant position. It's a job of great value and significance. It's one in which someone should be proud to do, be excited to be a part of, because what we're doing is anticipation of what is to come. Now, while Malay himself may not be a familiar name when it comes to artists, his works would, in fact, influence other great artists. In fact, there was a Dutch painter who found inspiration in Malay's paintings, actually copying several uh, of the sowers in, I'm sorry, copying the sower into several of his own works throughout the years. Although his works will be transformed by using brighter colors, you may be familiar with this Dutch artist named Vincent van Gogh. Now you're going to go look at van Gogh paintings and see if you could find the sower in the background. Sowing seeds. We not always see the fruit that maybe we're hoping for. Maybe others see it. Maybe others bring it in. Maybe the, the harvest is much larger or maybe it's different than we expected. But there's great value in sowing seeds. And we sow seeds, hopefully, with anticipation of a harvest that's to come. Now, a few years ago, 
at our house in West Virginia before we moved, I, when we first moved in, uh, the front landscaping, it, it was not good. It was, it was kind of awful. It's just bad. And we actually kind of dug out some bushes and, and, and some of the stuff that was there just wasn't taken care of. It hadn't been shaped and it just was just not good. Uh, but then we kind of ran out of time. Uh, so in our front yard, we basically had nothing. We had no landscaping. It was just kind of blah. And someone, we still don't know who to this day, whether it was a neighbor or someone at church playing a trick on us, we don't know. But, but one uh, late summer, all of a sudden, these, these plants started to kind of grow up out of this empty flower bed that we had dug up. And there were these beautiful wildflowers that came up out of this dirt. And it was like, hmm, that's kind of nice. Someone else got tired of looking at our mess and decided to come and to cast some seed into our flower beds, and we got to reap the benefits of, of what came out of that. That's how sometimes life works. Sometimes we sow the seeds, but others often are able to step into our lives and do the same things for us when the opportunity arises, when God so leads us. Seeds were sown, flowers bloomed, and it looked much better than when there were no seeds thrown, sown before. In Scripture, we find a parable teaching, if you will, of, of Jesus, when he talks about sowing seeds. It, it's a very familiar parable to us. You, you can find it in, in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to be sharing Luke's version with us this morning. And it's a teaching, I think, an important one for us because it speaks to us in many different ways, in many different places, uh, perhaps stations of our lives in which we may find ourselves. Jesus is traveling. He's going from town to town, village to village, and he's proclaiming the good news. It's an important verse. I want us to make sure we understand that. In, in verse 1, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Of course, we know the good news being that Jesus Christ has come, that, that he has, has come to uh, share grace with us. They don't yet know that he's going to go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins and rise again in three days so that we could be forgiven. But, but there's this idea that Jesus is sharing the good news. The good news is that his yoke is easy. The good news is his yoke is something that we can now be willingly wanted to be joined to him in and invited into and to be part of with him. So Jesus is proclaiming the good news. His disciples are with him. There's other, there's other people coming. He's got kind of his, his, his group that's following his groupies, if you will, following him around, learning. He's watching as Jesus is, is uh, casting out evil spirits. He's healing people. And there's a lot of good things happening. And he gets to this place where a large crowd gathers around him as often would happen when Jesus would show up. And Jesus gathers the people together, and he tells them this parable. In verse 5 of, of Luke chapter 8, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Another seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let him hear. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of logical. If you were just to have a bag of seed, you'd just be throwing it around. I think for many of us, well, why would you throw seed on the path? You, you know it's not going to grow there. Why would you throw seed along uh, the rocky ground? It's not going to grow there. You, we we kind of would know these things would happen. And what Jesus is telling us is that we, though, in, in this context, we're, we're not the seed and we're not the sower. Rather, we're the dirt or we're the ground. And, and he's speaking to us in this way that uh, we often have to flip the story, so to, so to speak, to put ourselves in the right posture, in the right place. It's, it's straightforward when you read it. Uh, there's no hidden Greek meaning, but, but there's still these questions that were left that, that we want answered. And, and while we would like to think of ourselves as, well, of course, we're the good soil, I think what Jesus is saying is there's times in our lives where perhaps if we're not careful, we might find ourselves somewhere else unexpected. I wonder if we're really honest and we would take a poll. We're not going to do this today, so don't, don't panic. Don't get all amped up. Don't get excited. What soil might you be today? Have the seeds that God has planted in your life been trampled on? 
eaten up by the birds? Can you point to a time in your life where it grew rapidly? You were excited. You just you're so on fire. But then as, as life kind of got in the way, it withered a little bit. It, it, it dried up because there's no root, no moisture. Or maybe it, it, it grew up strong and it was going well, but, but around you were the thorns that also grew up beside you. They choked the plants kind of smothering them, if they will, being overcome with life. And for many, thank God, you are finding yourself right now in a place of good soil that is producing more plants and crops and yielding even more seeds to be planted in the future, a hundred times more than was sown. Which one might we be today? Jesus then ends this part of his parable. <laughs> kind of an important challenge. He calls out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It, it, it's, it's kind of a, a charge, if you will. Do you hear what I'm saying, Jesus is saying? Do, do you get what I'm trying to communicate? If you hear what I'm saying, then do something about it. I've got these young kids at home, and boy, they, are nothing, they, they give me a bucket load of sermon illustrations every week, and I've got to be careful with what I do with those. And they're not any different than, than, than your children, your grandchildren. They hear, right? They hear, but then they don't do it. They don't respond, they don't do anything with it. And we all have times in our lives where I think that's true for us. We hear it, then what do we do about it? See, what Jesus is saying in this context, if, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. He's saying, go do something with this. This should result in some kind of response. And regardless of where you find yourself in the, this, this parable, do something about it, Jesus says. If you are on the path, if you are the rocky ground, if you are among the thorns, change. Do something about it. If you are in the good soil, then, then keep producing the fruit or, or the crop that is being yielded within us. Then Jesus has to kind of break it down. <laughs> and I'm glad he's willing to do this. His disciples, they, they're just not quite getting it. In, in verse 9, they ask him what this disciple meant. He then acknowledges that the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to, to the others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see and those hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable, Jesus says, beginning in verse 11. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so they may not believe and be saved. Those on a rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. And he gets to verse 15. But the seed on good soil, stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Jesus kind of spells it out for them very plainly and simply. And when we read his explanation in, in, in verses 11 through 15, each one of us can put ourselves somewhere in that story. We may not fully understand how, what it all means yet, but, but part of that explanation that Jesus just gave to us speaks to us. It, it's an indicator of where we are, but also is a revealer of where it is we perhaps need to be. See, Jesus explained the seed is the truth, the, the, the word of God. It, it, it's, it's the gospels. It's the good news. And we read earlier in, in chapter 8 that Jesus was proclaiming the good news. He is sowing seed and is proclaiming. He is spreading seed everywhere he goes. So right now as he's traveling along, he is throwing seeds everywhere, hoping that they'll take root, hoping that someone will catch on, something that will grow within them and produce a crop. Then he reveals the seed flung onto the path is heard, but quickly stolen away. Seed tossed onto the rocks, it might grow for a while. There's no root that there's to grab hold of. There's no moisture there, so it withers. The seed spread among the thorns. It's received, 
But then life tends to come in and suffocate it. Whether it be the worries of life or the riches and pleasures of life, the things of this world come and suffocate the crop which the seed is trying to produce. The seed is thrown in a good soil, though. That's when the news starts to become good. My caution for us this morning is that often we go through our daily lives and we just assume that we are the good soil. And I thank God for those seasons and times and, and for those that are in their, this place in their spiritual life where that is a reality. But I also know that in our culture today, it's incredibly easy for the other three types of soil to become normal for us. Francis Chan, you may be familiar with him, a Christian author and teacher and, and, and pastor and speaker, writes that the American church is a difficult place to fit in if you want to live out New Testament Christianity. What Jesus calls us to often conflicts with the life that our culture calls us to live. They're in opposition to one another. When we talk about dirty work, it's, we often think about we're working on others. But I believe the dirty work God wants to do is in us. Because sometimes, church, we get too comfortable. We, we like the, 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 the way that we've shaped or the way we've formed church or what we've made it into. But what Chan's reminding us, we've got to be careful because this westernized version of Christianity doesn't always match up with what we see in the New Testament, what we see Jesus modeling for us. So we're invited to yoke ourselves to him, to take on his easy yoke. It doesn't mean he's going to take us to places that are simple and comfortable. Rather, he's going to lead us to places that maybe we wouldn't go to on our own. If you wanted to flip back into Matthew chapter 4, you don't have to today, but in Matthew chapter 4, we know that Jesus, as he began his ministry, was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit for 40 days in a very uncomfortable place. And we often try to avoid wilderness moments in our lives. Those are not places that we run to. I mean, you might go there for a while just to kind of observe and take it in, but Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting away from people in the wilderness. It was a place of temptation, of solitude. It was a place of loneliness. And the Spirit led him there to prepare him. Wilderness moments prepare us. As Amy read for us this morning, those moments of life that we try to avoid that God uses to prepare us for what he has for us later on in life. Jesus led, modeled for us what it meant to be spirit-sourced. In Church of the Nazarene, uh, Stephen Manley is a well-known evangelist. He does a great series on this idea of being spirit-sourced versus being man-sourced or worldly-sourced. Jesus was spirit-sourced from Matthew chapter 4 throughout the rest of his life. It changed what he did. It changed who he did it with. He changed who he interacted with. It changed what he pursued and what he chased after. It was often in direct opposition to what the religious establishment of that day had determined was acceptable and okay. Are we led by the Spirit? Are we Spirit-sourced? Are we Spirit-sourced by, by our own uh, desires and initiatives, wants, perceived needs? See, to be Spirit-sourced is what helps us to get to the place where we can finally, truly experience harvest. Uh, the crop that God desires to come out of our lives we can look at it from a very personal sense of, of just growing spiritually. God plants a seed in us. We receive the gospel. We become a child of God. We grow in our faith. There, there, there's, a, there's fruit in that growth, yes. But we, we've, if, and if, if we're not careful, we'll stay there. We won't move beyond, and we won't help. What Jesus really wants us to do ultimately is to grow the kingdom. When we become children of God, through the grace of God, that's an invitation to enter into the work of God with God. That is growing the kingdom. It's, it's not just patting ourselves on the back thinking we've finally arrived. There's much more work for us to do. We are then to become fruit bearers. We are then to continue to, to participate and join with him in, in the sowing of seed. And Jesus models for us that. If he, goes, he comes right out of Matthew chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 5, which is a sermon on the mount, where he shares the blessed statements, the Beatitudes, and some incredible teachings for the life of the church. Out of Matthew chapter 5, we find ourselves in, in 6 and 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about fruit. Good fruit. Verse 19, it says, Every tree 
does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> that sounds kind of, well, permanent. That, that there might come a point in time where I am measured by what I produce. So what happens is we tend to, if, if you will, I like this analogy for this time of year, we move the goalposts, so to speak. What used to be the measure that God gave to us. We're to be trees, we're to be a crop that produces good fruit. If you don't produce good fruit, then you're cut down and thrown into the fire. See, this words, these words of Jesus, they imply something to us. It implies that there's measurement. That there are expectations. When, when we follow, when we join, when we become a child of God, when we uh, accept his grace, when, we, when the seeds that he sows grow up within us, there's in something that's expected of us. The harvest that, that we're to then be part of. We're to be part of kingdom fruit. We're to be part of a kingdom harvest. But the beautiful thing about all this is it's always produced by the Holy Spirit. We just do get to be part of the process. We might be the, the, the peasant in the picture that's throwing the seeds. We might be one that comes later and waters the seed or, or helps pull the weeds. We're part of the process in the production of, of the kingdom fruit. But too often, we, we think, well, that's hard work. That's uncomfortable work. Or, or that might be work that's rejected by those that I share it with. Or maybe we just don't see it in ourselves. Or we're not confident or we're anxious or we're fearful. We keep having all kinds of conversations about reasons that we don't. But it's an invitation that we're all called to be a part of in some way. I remember when I first started to grapple with this as a child, as a teenager, this idea that I needed to share good news that created almost terror within me. God, I can't do that. You don't want me to do that? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm alone in, in that fear. Yet, when I'm spirit-led, when, when grace is real in my life, when I recognize that what God's trying to do, when, when I acknowledge that I, I'm trying to become and be, be a part of this good soil that, that Jesus talks about, I can't help but chew on it and think about it and ask God what it looks like. And, and I, I can't get away from it. But I think that we tend to at times, and I believe this, we, we tend to justify and rationalize the things that we don't want to do when we figure out reasons in, in our minds of legitimate reasons of them not doing them. And, and we'll convince ourselves that it's okay if I do it this way. Or I'm going to redefine and move the goalpost so that I can be okay and be on good soil and it'll look like this. And there might be some spirit-led moments where that's actually true. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand. But to be in the midst of a, of a kingdom harvest, recognizing it's always produced by the Holy Spirit, I then have to recognize that spiritual fruit must be predicated by people in the Spirit. Meaning I have to spend time with God, dwelling with him in the midst of his Holy Spirit, receiving and hearing from him, receiving what the Holy Spirit would have for me, and, but then listening to him. Because the more time I spend with him, the, the more apt I am to hear him clearly. And the more I hear him clearly, the more often he's likely to send us into places that we're uncomfortable in. Because it's easy to do things on our own, on our own power, on our own abilities, God sends us to places where we need him. Because this is his fruit. This is his kingdom that he's growing. And I'm thankful for that. Because it's because of the Spirit's leading that I, I, I'm where I am today. I wouldn't be here on my own. I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't choose to do this. God chose it for me. And every time God opens a door for us, then we have a choice. Will we say yes? Will we walk through that door? Will we say no? Continue to try to make religion make sense the way that we interpret it, the way that we read it. I know a lot of thoughts, and over the next coming weeks, I think these will start to make more sense as God reveals what he's trying to do. In Colossians chapter 1, we, we, we have this uh, introduction to Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And Paul, we know, was one that had, after Jesus died and was resurrected, 
ascended into heaven, uh, the, the church began to grow. And Paul was a religious leader in those days, and, and they were watching this, this new movement begin to take shape and new, more people begin to get reached. And, and Paul was among the religious leaders who started to arrest those who were believing in Christ. And he was one that was chasing after them. He was present, holding onto the coats when Stephen was stoned. And, and Paul got a letter from, 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 the, from the high priest giving him permission to go to Damascus and to arrest the believers in Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, Paul has this encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus where he's struck blind. And Jesus speaks to Paul and, and basically calls Paul, says, you're going to stop doing what you're doing to me, stop persecuting me, and now I'm calling you and I'm opening up a door for you to come follow me. You're now going to become one who sows seeds for me. Paul becomes this incredible missionary, church planter, and he helps plant the church in Colossae. And what we read about in, in, in Colossae is this, Paul's writing this introductory letter and, and saying, hey, hi, how are you? Great night, I'm so... And, and he gets to these flowery words. In verses 3 through 8, he writes, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and for the love and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up from you in heaven about which you already heard and the true message of the gospel has come to you. Now that's a run-on sentence. In the same way, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, your dear fellow servant, who is, faith, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. See, we, we find the church in Colossae bearing good fruit, uh, that's spreading around not only their area, but around the whole world. Why? Because they are living in the midst of the Spirit. There are certain things in our Christian walk that just become natural. When we find ourselves in the right place, God just takes over and does things we could never do on our own. But we have to make that first choice to, to step off the path or to get out of the rocks or to, to remove ourselves from the thorns and to put ourselves in the midst of good soil that God could do the work in us first. Then we get to verses 9 and 10 of Colossians chapter 1. For this reason, Paul writes, all the reasons that we just read about, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Hmm, interesting. They seem to be doing everything right. There's some good things. We've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. We've heard that you have a love for all of God's people. Uh, we hear that you are sharing faith and that you are you're people that are hopeful, that you're passing on the true message of the gospel. You're bearing kingdom fruit. Uh, you've been doing, you understand God's grace. You're doing everything in the Spirit. Why would we need to be praying for them? Paul writes, we continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives you so that you may live life worthy of the Lord. What does worthy of the Lord mean? What does it look like? Pleasing him in every way. Well, I think that's what we should want to do, right? Do you want to please God in every way? I hope so. We might want to please him in most ways or in some ways, but my hope and desire is you want to please him in every way, growing in the knowledge of God, producing good fruit, bearing good fruit. Paul prays for them because he knows how easy it is to end up as seed on the path in the rocks or in the weeds. What might church look like what might this church look like if we would desire to live a life worthy of the Lord? Knowing that we're unworthy apart from God's grace, each one of us is. We'll get to that in just a moment. What would it look like if we had a love for all of God's people, even those that we disagreed with, look different than us, to vote different than us, to root for a different football team than us? What if we had a love for all of God's people regardless of, of who they were, what they had even done. What if we became sowers of seed? Not worrying about whether or not we think they deserve it or not, rather because grace is so powerful it can't be held in. What might 
this church look like if we truly became a place where all were welcome? Because sometimes we need to pause and take a step back and ask, what's this church thing all about? Why do we even do it? Why are we here? Why do we come every week? Those are okay questions to ask. And sometimes we should be asking them. Our leadership should be asking them. Our staff should be asking them. Those are questions we should be asking. Are we continuing to be and to seek and to desire to be in the middle of who God wants us to be? Focused on his will, pursuing what he has for us, being who he wants us to be? Why are we here? And we find the answer to that question when we're spirit-led. We don't typically ask the question on our own. But when we follow the spirit, when we go where he leads us, sometimes we're faced with questions that we will sometimes avoid and we perhaps don't even want to answer. But when we follow the spirit, what I've also found to be true that we cannot fail. When we follow the Holy Spirit, we cannot fail. It's not to say that the message we share or the seeds that we plant or the grace that we pass on will be received and embraced and accepted. That's not up to us. Our job is simply to do it. It's just to, to be his hands and his feet, to go where it is that he leads us. When we're spirit-led, we cannot fail. Because we're sharing something incredibly powerful grace. The church word we throw around a lot. It speaks to forgiveness of sin, to restoration of relationship. Paul writes in his book to Romans in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us, every one of us, everyone you know, everyone in our world has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Each one of us, if we profess to be a child of God, to be, have, have had our sins forgiven, have a grace story. We'll be talking about stories in the coming weeks because your story matters. Your grace story is significant. Your grace story God can use to speak into someone else's life. You may sit there and think, well, well but I was raised in a Christian home or I never really did anything that bad. Sin is sin and sin still separates. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of his grace, we have a story to share. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to share our stories. It looks like to have spiritual conversations. I know some of you, I'm, I'm just scaring you right now, and you're checking out. You're going to find something else to do these next few weeks. I understand that anxiousness. But church, we can't remain quiet any longer. We have a world that's dark and it's dying. And they need what we have. And I'm excited to dive into this part of God's dirty work. Uh, of going to places we wouldn't go on our own. To help this see and, and to bring in a crop, a harvest, a hundred times more than what was sown. Not our, by our own power or abilities or talents or gifts. Because we're spirit-led people going where God wants us to go. General Assembly this past July, I'm sorry, June, uh, Dr. Crocker shared one of his messages, and, and you've heard this in, in follow-up services since then. I think Josh shared this a couple, couple months ago. We're, we were followers who follow followers who follow Jesus. There's a cycle in, in this discipleship model that, that we follow others who follow after Jesus. We we're following those who are leading us in the right direction. Let me go back several other general assemblies ago when Dr. Jerry Porter, who is now retired, said this, our passion to be Christ-like and to make Christ-like disciples who make Christ-like disciples. Kind of a similar thought. It's not a program or a curriculum. It's a way of life. To be Christ-like is a way of life. It's not something we simply do on Sunday. It's something we do every day. Dr. Porter writes, and it's an intentional, relational, mutually empowering, lifelong Jesus pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is a unique idea and thought. It was something that those back in early biblical times, Jesus' times, where they would make a pilgrimage yearly to Jerusalem, to, to, to a place where they could go to worship. And we saw the pilgrimage even in different contexts and different ways expressed throughout history. 
but it's this journey, if you will, to, to, to this place of worship, this place of recognition, this place of celebration. Our passion, Porter writes, to be Christ-like is a lifelong Jesus pilgrimage. We keep growing, and as we grow, we keep spreading seed, and as we grow, as we keep pilgrimaging, we keep watering, we keep pulling weeds as we go, and then all along the way, we're not sitting back waiting for a harvest to grow. We're in the midst of the harvest all the time. And we get to participate in bringing in kingdom fruit. So these next few weeks, they may, they may make us uncomfortable. That may be a good thing. God may remind us, I pray that he does, of who he is, of who we are, of who he wants us to be. As you're sitting there stressing out and wondering, well, I'm not qualified for that, and uh, he doesn't want me to share my story, or that casting seeds, that's those for those that are more qualified than I am. Let me share these words from Nadia Bolsweber. She writes, never once did Jesus scan the room for the best example of holy living and send that person out to tell others about him. He always sent the stumblers and the sinners. And I find that comforting. We're the ones with the stories. We're the ones that people can connect with and relate to. We're the ones that can help them see what it truly looks like to be lived out without moving the goalposts. See, good farmers work hard. They prepare the soil. They plant seed. They water. They pull the weeds. They make sure their crops are fed. And they do all of this in anticipation of the harvest to come. And even in the midst of that harvest, what we find are the seeds that will be used the next year. So not only do we produce a crop, but we also then multiply the seed. We've got some dirty work to do. And I pray that we're never afraid of it, that we never shy away, that we don't become a white-glove type church, but we're a church that's willing and ready to get our hands in the dirt, that we could become part of something that we would anticipate, look forward to. We would come on Sundays wondering what it is that God's going to do, who is God going to save today, what is God's grace, how is it going to show up and manifest itself among us today? When our worship today, what's going to happen, what's God going to do this morning? When we come to church on Sundays, I pray that it's not just routine and habit, but you come with anticipation of, of God showing up and doing something among his people. If it's anything less than that, hear me. If it's anything less than that, then we do have to ask the question, which soil are we? What's in the way? Am I spirit-led? Or am I sourced by the things of this world? And as we come next week, I pray you walk through the doors with anticipation of what it is God's going to do. This month, we're going to talk about missions and the Church of the Nazarene and how that fits. And I know that that's a word that resonates with many of you and, and talk about getting um, renewing a focus, if you will, in our missional work. Uh, not just uh, around the world, but also uh, locally as well. What, what would God have us do as his hands and feet as we, we strive to get our hands dirty? What does outreach look like? What does connecting with people look like? It can be easy, though, at times to confuse uh, spreading of seeds with the giving of food and clothes. Those are important needs that we're supposed to do as a church. But seeing beyond the, the, the meal, beyond the clothes, we have to recognize there's people that need to be impacted and loved and helped hear God's grace. We're going to talk about how power comes from the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit presents opportunities to us. We're going to talk about having spiritual conversations with, with others that we might interact with during the day. We're going to talk about telling our stories, even taking steps to help you even identify and put words to your story. We're going to talk about invitation, inviting someone to come to church with you. <gasps> this scared some of you, didn't I? Invitation. But also asking the question, what are we inviting people to? What are we inviting them to be a part of? And ultimately, Lord, with God's help, reminding ourselves that the good news church is still good news. God's grace is still available to all who would want it, pursue it, who would receive it, 
would be transformed by it. So we're just getting started, but I'm anxious to see what God has for us. I'm looking forward with anticipation of what uh, the Spirit might do in us over these next few weeks together. Got a couple stories already lined up for you. Got uh, Pastor Dwayne Mills coming from Appalachia. Reach out here in a few weeks to share with us. Uh, Cindy Lee is going to be sharing a story with us about a ministry she's involved in uh, here locally. And we'll let, I'm going to leave, let her share all the details of that here in a few weeks. But sharing stories of God's grace, of his moving, of the doors that he's opening, and the ways that we get to be involved and come alongside and to work with God in the midst of it all. I hope you're ready to get your hands dirty. That's what God's calling us to. And I'm looking forward with anticipation of being part of the harvest that he wants to bring in. I invite you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. Prayer simple. I, there's, there's a lot we're going to work on together in the weeks ahead. But, but today, the simple question I have for you is, the seeds of grace that God has sown among us this morning, what kind of soil has it fallen upon? We have that honest conversation with him this morning. Just a few moments. Father, it can be hard to put ourselves in this position. Lord, I believe that some have already heard from you. Your word has already spoken. I know for myself, I've been in situations, services, if you will, when I you know, get stuck on a passage of Scripture that's read to me, Lord, and I don't hear anything else the rest of the time, and I find myself wrestling with what it is that I've read in your word. Lord, that speaks to the power of your word and how it just grabs a hold of us, how it's a living thing, and Lord, it just, through the help of your spirit, convicts and reveals how it calls how it corrects. So Lord, this morning, I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to us. That Lord, we would be willing to ask for you to show us, are we the path today? Where the seeds that we've, that have been sown into our lives have been trampled on, Lord, eaten up by the birds? Lord, are we the rocky soil? With joy, Lord, for a moment, there was growth and there was excitement, Lord, but without the water, without the, the deep roots, Lord, it quickly dried up and faded away. God, am I the seed that was sown among the thorns? Where it grows up quickly, it looks good, yet beside me, God, are those pressures of life, the, those things of, of this world, uh, the, the things, Lord, I think that I need, uh, the the good things and the not-so-good things, the, those things I allow in that choke, that choke out the grace that becomes so real. Lord, am I the good soil for which we thank you? That place where we're growing, it's not to say that everything's perfect, there aren't any problems, that we just know that's not real life. Lord, we sense your involvement in our lives. We hear your voice. We follow you through the doors you open. And God, we, Lord, are the part, a part of a harvest is being produced. Which one, Father, am I today? As you answer that question among us this morning, help us then, Lord, to do as Jesus commanded those, as he shared the story, those who hear let them go do something about it. What would you have me do, God, in response to the words that I've heard? Continue, Lord, to change us. Continue, Lord, your work in us, through us. Continue, Father, to be glorified as we, Lord, seek to become bearers of kingdom fruit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go and sow some seed. Good day.